we try to outdistance ourselves from our broken past, not knowing that we need that part of ourselves. I know for myself, I began to hate that fearful child inside of me. I wanted him out. I wanted him gone. I didn't want to reconcile. I wanted him to go away. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows me that he loves that part of me. He's mm -hmm. waiting to meet me in that part of me. And I need that part of me. Welcome to The Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. This podcast is here to advance the revolution Jesus started, a revolution of the free, the fire starters, the troublemakers, and the zealots. I interview people who I think are awesome, who have heard that revolutionary call and are going after Jesus with their whole heart. If you listen to this show and join our community, I know God is going to speak to you. I believe God wants to change the world through you, through your unique gifts and talents He's given you. This podcast is here to be a voice of encouragement in your life, a voice that says, with God you can, and with God you will. Let's get rolling. Today on The Killing Fire, I have the uh, honor to have Terry Wardle on the show. Thank you so much for joining, Terry. I'm thrilled to be here, Troy. So Terry is a recent author, among other things, of a book called Some Kind of Crazy, and that's actually how we connected, was uh, I was able to work with uh, your publisher and got a hold of the book, and wow, that's, a, that's what I can say about the book. Wow, it is just quite the amazing stories of your life. Uh, just to, as a quick, um, Terry, on a little bit more about kind of what you do and, and where you come from, not only with the book, but outside of that, can you let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Um, most of my time these days is spent helping people who have experienced deep emotional ruptures in their life encounter the Lord in the midst of those ruptures. I think that many of us were raised in environments, I certainly was, that sent this basic message, as you are, you're not enough. And if you want to get love, and if you want to be significant, and if you want to be noticed, you have to be more than you are. And that just kicks in this amazing degree of performance in which we're working so hard to measure up, but I've come to the conclusion in life that, a couple conclusions, one is this, nothing beats us down more than trying to measure up. And also, nothing is more discouraging than trying to measure up when you have in your life deep emotional ruptures that have occurred somewhere in the past, and we're trying to live past them, but what Jesus wants to do is to meet us in the midst of those ruptures and really draw us not only into wholeness, but into a freedom in him that we can have once we let Jesus into places that we'd really rather not even look at. Yeah, amen. So have you always been in, in sort of the counseling stream, or have there, have you, do you have history of doing some other um, things as well? My, my background, once I came to faith, was I became a pastor, and after 10 years of being a pastor, and finishing some academic degrees, I actually became a seminary educator, and I spent over 30 years uh, in what is called the Disciplines of Practical Theology, um, and taught in a couple different universities and seminaries over the years. But in the midst of that, my own unrepaired ruptures from a very abusive childhood caught up with me. I ended up going into a deep emotional ditch, and out of that, 
encountering the Lord in a way that was quite profound and people began to talk to me about what I had experienced and soon it was resonating with a lot of other folk who have experienced deep emotional problems and I began to share a model of dealing with uh, emotional brokenness and I ended up writing a series of books on it and then teaching courses on it and believe it or not started a doctoral program over it and God just began to make that something that he put his hand upon because I know the scripture as a reality where it says a bruised reed he will not break a smoldering wick he will not put out so my background is in practical theology training people in issues of church leadership but my personal experience drove me in another direction which was to have a very empathic connection for individuals that are carrying the weight of what I call unrepaired emotional ruptures that have occurred in their past. Mm. You know, one of the things I've thought about with Jesus that that is so profound is that, you know, he's he is uh, you know being called the suffering servant, and and um, you know one of the things that that he has in common with all humanity it's not success and glory, but pain, and that pain connects people because a lot of people feel that. That disconnect between here I am and here is maybe where I think the other parts of the world are and they're not where I'm at. Like they're doing very well, I'm doing very poorly. And if we we introduce ourselves into a faith that says, okay, now God has this high standard and I'm not meeting that as well. Well, you know, what hope is there for me? But it sounds like the journey that you've come to find out is like, no, actually... It's in that broken place. That's where Jesus lives. He lives in both places, but but he doesn't. That there's nothing to be ashamed of in, in things that have broken us through life. I, I think that's one of the most important teachings that we need to wrap our hearts around. When we begin to think about what I might call performance-based faith, we have this idea that there is this high mount of transfiguration and we need to measure up to get there and when we're there we'll meet jesus and i certainly was on that treadmill and i certainly tried uh, to measure up for the lord but in the midst of my brokenness i learned that jesus meets us in the ditch as a matter of fact if i was really bright i would write a book on ditch theology i think jesus does, <laughs> does some of his best work in the ditch and that we're in here striving to be more than we are And Jesus wants to meet us right where we are. And I think that's one of the frustrations that happens over people that are trying to measure up for Jesus. They're working hard. They're reading their Bibles. They're trying to get beyond uh, their own particular circumstance. But they, they reach this wall. And sometimes what people give as advice is, well, if, you've, if you reach that wall, just pray more, read more, do more. The truth of the matter is that wall is a place where Jesus wants to meet us in the wounds of the past, in the false beliefs that have wrapped themselves around our lives, and even in our own dysfunctional behavior and loss, and that the Lord meets us there. And I now have seen that for over two decades. Uh, many, many people. We, we've had over 8,000 people go through our training on how to position people for uh, emotional healing, and, and all of them tell stories of individuals that were worn out trying to measure up, trying to live beyond their own brokenness, who all of a sudden meet Jesus in their brokenness, and they are profoundly transformed by Christ in that very spot. And often what happens 
is when we meet Christ in that spot, not only do we have a new intimacy with him, but it often births a ministry out of a place we never even thought God was interested in. And out of our deepest pain comes some of our greatest blessings that we could ever experience. Yeah, so you wrote something that I thought was such a practical uh, um, viewpoint of this. And uh, I have a lot of men that listen to the show, so I think that the men will, will definitely resonate with this. And it says, um, in your book, you said, In my hometown, measuring up was determined by how much alcohol I drank or how well I hunted or how many girlfriends I had or whether I could fight my way out of a fix. Uh, on the athletic field, it was the hits and home runs or baskets and free breaks. On, in academics, it came down to grades and degrees and awards and titles. Every context has its own howdy-doody yardstick. And uh, that's such a practical – people feel what that – I mean, people know exactly what that is, right? And and the question I have for you is, is based on your history – you know, what was one one example where you felt like, you know, you you had to be more than you were? Well, I think it begins very early for me. I experienced as a young child a number of very significant traumas. And so by the time I reach uh, childhood, five, six, seven years old, I was dealing with a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear. But when you live in a coal mining, rough, tough environment, you don't want to be known as a sissy boy and you don't want to be known as the nervous child and you got to find a way to compensate for that. And so I was caught in between these two extremes, one of really having an internal storm and battle because of unresolved trauma that had occurred to me, but also this external pressure to appear like I have it all together, uh, to be... Um, tough to be out front and boy that put a real tension on me that was very difficult to navigate and it again played into the basic premise that if you want to be loved and you want to be accepted you got to find out how the people in your culture measure performance and then you're going to have to perform to that degree so that you can be accepted by them and I was caught in that and it's a very very destructive place how long do you think that you lasted on that uh, treadmill? Well, here's what's interesting, Troy. Uh, so as I'm leaving college, and of course I was on the treadmill there, I, I have this encounter with Christ, and it was wonderful and powerful, and it really was in some ways life-changing. And so I went into ministry, and I felt like God had his anointing on my life, and I became rather successful as a pastor and and began to do some writing and then uh, actually became, as I said, uh, an academic and uh, headed up a seminary. But in the midst of all that, I had never been attentive to the unresolved ruptures in my own past, the brokenness that was inside of me. So I was living beyond my own brokenness, performing, striving. And then all of a sudden what happened was I fell into what I call the Grand Canyon of my emotional brokenness. And it was there that all of a sudden everything began to shift because I couldn't perform my way out of this. I, I, I couldn't read more, pray more, and do more to get out of this hole that I was in. And all of a sudden I experienced the tenderness of Christ, not in concepts only, 
but also in a deep experience of the Lord. And that's where I began to recognize that I had been raised in a transactional concept of faith. And the transactional concept of faith is really simply described as this. If I, then he. So I got to figure out what I have to do to get the blessings of God. That's the way I was raised in transaction. And all of a sudden, I begin to find that no, true faith is relational, not transactional. Yeah. It's not about what I do. Matter of fact, I would say the, the, the foundation of healthy faith is not if I, then he, but instead because he, then I. Yeah, that's a great, man, that's, that's good. So how old were you? This is, I, I'm, very, I'm asking this for a reason. How old were you when, you when you really started to say, you know what, I think I've, I've, I've reached the end of my, my effort. Like, I don't think I can pull this off anymore. Well, I can tell you exactly how old I was and what day it was and where the month was. Because <laughs> I, 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 was uh, I was very successful at this particular time. Uh, I started a church in California with a friend of mine, and it just grew and grew. And within 18 months, we had over 800 people. We started with seven. So there are all these signs of success. And I went to teach a short-term course at a seminary, and at the end of the week, I was so emotionally undone that I slipped into deep depression and uh, a battle with agoraphobia. And I was uh, three months before my 40th birthday. Mm-hmm. And I often say this to people, particularly men, we develop coping strategies in life early to try to get what we need out of life. We realize that the world plays by a certain set of rules, and even as Christians, we try to figure out those rules and play by them. But you know what I think? When we start reaching that age of about 40, all those coping mechanisms are no longer effective. And what we're left with is all the pain that we've been trying to kill all along. And that's when Jesus really wants to meet us. And that's when uh, transactions turn to relationship. And that's when God allows us to lay down this need to perform in order to embrace who we really are. Which, if I may, Troy, I think one of the things that happens in this journey as we go in a journey of descent into our own brokenness and we find Jesus there, I think what begins to happen is our true self begins to emerge and all of a sudden we're not driven to perform for God, but our true self moves into this place of life and ministry where it's almost as if we become the embodiment of the passage of scripture in Zechariah that says there'll come a day when 10 people from all nations will lay their hand on one of God's people and say, can we walk with you? And ministry doesn't become something we do, but it becomes part of who we are. And there's a freedom in that. There's a scripture in Romans 8 that says all creation waits for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. I don't think that's just in the eschaton. I think that means every single day creation is looking for another man and another woman that all of a sudden meets Jesus in their brokenness and is transformed in such a way that they become light and they become salt in the world. Yeah. So, so I've, I've run in men's circles for many years, and one of the things that I see over and over and over and over again is men start trickling in about 35. About 35 is when they start saying, all this uh, gymnastics that I call my life, that me trying to keep all the plates spinning and all the other things going on, 
they, they start dropping plates and things start to unravel. And all their, um, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm just going to play the old guy card here for a second. Um, all the false religion that they built around uh, effort and, uh, and striving and, you know, all that sort of masculine testosterone they kind of inject into the faith saying do more, you can do it, tough it out, suffer, you know, all these other things. Uh, it all, it, it, it just stops working. And, and, the, and the more beautiful aspects of life, relationship with your wife, relationship with your kids, do you have any friends, they start to recognize, oh, crap, all of this is broken and all my testosterone can't fix it. <laughs> what don't I know? <laughs> you know, and I'm sure you've seen that. If you've seen 8,000 people or so, you know, through your program, you've seen this pattern. Well, I, I think that you're you're absolutely correct. The age I, I always say somewhere in that thirty-five to forty-five uh, year old span, the coping structures we've used to get along in life they're just not working anymore, and we feel a deep internal emptiness. Now, what what often happens that is not a favor to people when they reach that stage is that some people apply the do more strategy, pray more do more, serve more. So they're doubling down on the strategy they've already been doing that wasn't working. Yeah. Instead, what we need to do is to start to cry out and say, Lord, meet me in my brokenness. And he does. As a matter of fact, I think Jesus waits to meet us in our brokenness because our Lord is a wounded healer and he understands wounding and he understands the importance of God's healing light coming into the places of our emotional ruptures that are very present there. You know, I would go one step further and say this, that in many situations, particularly when men are struggling with uh, married, men and women struggling in their marriage, they're not aware often that their struggle is more driven by unresolved issues of their distant past than they are the circumstantial stressors that they're facing in the day-to-day. And so when couples come to me and they're, they're struggling, one of the things I say is, look, before we work on each other, we need to do some work individually and find out what are the places in our past that are still undone, the wounds that are there, that have never been touched by the light of Christ. And once that begins to happen, we're amazed at the degree to which other aspects of our life begin to come into place. You know, one of the things I love is that um, sometimes we find the truth of Scripture and the truth God is trying to convey in unconventional ways. And one of the ways that I uh, discovered it was through a Disney movie <laughs> uh, called The Boy. I think it was called The Boy. Um, and and it's about this relationship that this older man has. He's about in his 40s with his 8-year-old self. Yeah. And it's a Disney movie, so it's not harsh, but I've seen what I'm about to say in other movies, and I can't place them right now, but, but I, I want to I ask you this. There's this disdain and hatred of this older man for this younger man, this, mm -hmm. his younger self, to the point of, I hate you. I wish you didn't exist, because if you didn't, I'd be strong, I'd be stable, I'd be killing it right now. But because of this weakness I had as a boy that I 
you know, couldn't do anything about. I wish you, I wish I could just kill this part of myself. Yeah. And that is one approach that men will take to try to quote get better, kill the boy, right? Kill, kill him. And the reality of it is, it, it breaks Jesus's heart. Yeah, I, I would. I would. I think you'd find it interesting that when we do an eight-day retreat with people, we show that movie. The movie's called The Kid. Oh, The Kid. Thank and, you. <laughs> and uh, it's a wonderful movie because you've hit it right on the head, and that is. We try to outdistance ourselves from our broken past, not knowing that we need that part of ourselves. I know for myself, I began to hate that fearful child inside of me. I wanted him out. I wanted him gone. I didn't want to reconcile. I wanted him to go away. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows me that he loves that part of me. He's mm-hmm. waiting to meet me in that part of me, and I need that part of me. So often I'm doing violence against myself that's really going to cause more crippling than it will ever healing. And, and I know it's hard for folk. It, it, it can bring a certain amount of anxiety when you think I need to go back and revisit some of these unprocessed wounds, but that's where Christ does some of his best work. And that's where we begin to experience a freedom so that we can reconcile with the broken parts of our past. And uh, I've seen it. I think the book, the, the, that movie is a, a great illustration of that. And this is the very thing that I was trying to really focus on by writing this book, Some Kind of Crazy, of how, you know, in my own brokenness, it caused a great amount of dysfunctional behavior and limping through life. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets me, not in my achievements, not in what I've done for him, but he meets me in my brokenness, and things begin to radically change. And again, to make this emphasis, it begins to move from a transactional performance-based faith to a deep relational intimacy where the tenderness of Christ meets the tenderness of my woundedness, and all of a sudden, things begin to radically change. You know, there's another movie called Goodwill Hunting, and in mm-hmm. that film, uh, Matt Damon and uh, Robin Williams are having an interaction. I think it's Matt Damon. I, I might be having some of these details, but I think it's Goodwill Hunting, where he's in a psychologist's office, which was played by Robin Williams, and this this boy is angry, hurt, been abused, you know, struggling, and he and the and the psychiatrist says to him, point blank, face to face. Um, it's not your fault. And he keeps saying it to him until it drives the kid crazy. And he's young. He's probably 20-ish. Um, because it's so much of what he needed to, to help set him free is it's not your fault. And a lot of times the reason I think that people want to kill the boy is because somehow I did something wrong when in fact so much was done to you. It's not your fault. Yeah, the, the, the piece that I like to say to folks, and it's something I had to deal with myself, is that in many of the, again, to use the term, emotional ruptures that have not been healed, it's not my fault, but now it is my responsibility. Oh, yeah. Um, it's my responsibility to say yes to the healing journey, to find a safe context where people will not be judgmental with me, that I can begin to really experience the presence of Christ in all of his grace and all of his mercy. And you know, Troy, another point of this that I think is very important for us to recognize, God's grace is overwhelming. His, his patience with us goes beyond description. 
And he, it is the scandalous piece of the gospel that he ends up flowing through the very part of us that we most wanted to hide, and he flows through that to heal the world. I mean, I never had in my mind that I would be known as the guy that lost it and that now <laughs> tells people about it. That wasn't my, my view. I didn't want to do that. That wasn't what I thought would be helpful. I wanted to be the, you know, superstar Christian leader who performed and achieved and that, you know, ooh and ah. And then all of a sudden I'm upside down in a huge emotional ditch. Jesus meets me there. I start to tell people Jesus meets me there and folks start gathering around. I want to hear more. So this is, this is an interesting piece for me. You know, many of the people in scripture in the New Testament are known for their worst day, their, what was worst about them. Blind Bartimaeus, the woman caught in adultery, uh, the gathering demoniac, you know, you can go on and on and on. And here's what's interesting. They haven't been that way for 2000 years, but I think it's important that they're able to say this, my worst day became my best day when I met Jesus there. And so here I am a guy that, you know, wanted to be known for my achievement, but instead am known for my brokenness and how Christ met me there. I think that's the scandal of the gospel. Yeah. Can I, let me ask you a, a question kind of since you've had, you know, some, some journey along this healing path, would you say that you were, I'm sorry to be so pointed in this question, but, it, but it's trying to draw a contrast from the time when you, when everyone looked at you as being a, a, a great success and you looked at yourself as a great success. And today, when I would say that, you know, you've written a book called some kind of crazy, uh, you're in a healing ministry. Would you say that you are stronger today or when everyone thought you were strong? Well, there's no question about that. Um, let me come at it in two different ways. Sometimes people ask me this question. So, Terry, are you healed? And here's my answer. I'm healed. I'm being healed. I'm yet to be healed. So is there still a journey to be made? Of course there is. But I can tell you this. I can look back to a period of time when people thought that I was a strong example of a Christian leader, and I would tell you that today on some of my worst days, there is more strength and more presence of Christ in my life than there was then. Mm. And that is just a fact that I think is very consistent with the whole idea of the gospel of Jesus. I mean, when you begin to think about the cross itself, there was literally no demonstration of supernatural power from the cross. And yet in the midst of that choice to be weak, the whole world has the opportunity to be completely transformed. And so I think, you know, when you begin to look at some folks who are really impacting the world today, many of them are impacting the world out of a place of their own brokenness, out of the place of their own struggle, out of a place where they had to go through a, a deep season. Two great authors, one Henry Nouwen and, and the other one uh, was uh, Eugene Peterson, both made this comment in different ways. There will come a place in our lives where we will reach a trial, and in that trial, God will be challenging us to do life in a new way, in a different way. Um, now, uh, Henry Nouwen said this, that there comes a day in which we will be taken on a journey not of our own choosing. 
Peterson called it a season of ascesis, involuntary imprisonment. And when you look at the lives of some people that are, have really started to impact the world and have throughout history, you often find that this impact, this power of Christ is surging through a place that was a weakness, just like 1 Corinthians 12 says. And so instead of people gathering together and flexing uh, to show all their muscles, we gather together to point to Christ and to boast in Christ because he has this ability to use even the weakest broken part of ourselves when we offer it to him. You know, I think that the, the man, there's so much, so much there. Um, you know, but I, Jesus gets the greatest glory sometimes out of our weakness or all the times out of our weakness, not our, our strongest days and our, um, you know, where the light shines the brightest on us. You know, for myself, I can say that I am weaker today uh, in personality, in confidence, in um, so many areas of my life, but I am way stronger in the Lord. Like I have, I have so much depth in me in the Lord today, but from a outside looking in, you know, I'm, I'm more tentative in my personality. You know, there's just so many other things because I've lived long enough to, and failed long enough to say, wow, do I need Jesus? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's the glory again of the issue of the gospel. I, I can't remember who said it, but one theologian once said that Jesus becomes the great physician by choosing to become the patient. And, and that means he, he comes into our weakness. He knows what we've experienced. He's walked this way. And now we're able to turn to him, and he's able to do this revolutionary work. Uh, and I think, again, that's, that's so consistent with the teachings of Paul. In Galatians, Paul said, do you think God pours his spirit on you because of how you behave and all your good works? No, he pours his spirit in you because you believe. Believe what? Believe in Christ that he meets us in our brokenness, that out of weakness he shows strength. That, to me, is what's revolutionary about the gospel, and that's the reason that I spend this chapter of my life spending time with people that have been broken, helping them experience the glory of the gospel of Christ, telling the story of my own brokenness in order that can help people embrace their story yeah. and then meet Jesus in it. And that's the reason I wrote uh, Some Kind of Crazy. Yeah. And I would say for listeners, um, you know, if you want to read just an amazing journey of a man that has been through some incredibly difficult and rough uh, upbringing in, in uh, coal mines of West Virginia in those um, kind of where you grew up in to the point where you, you know, were in charge of a seminary and, you know, super Christian <laughs> and, and all the things that have, you know, kind of transpired. What a great book um, to pick up, some kind of crazy. I want to end with this. Um, you wrote in the book, about your life, you said that I've discovered the ultimate goal of my life was neither to be healed uh, nor even to be used, but to be completely enfolded in the embrace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, union with God has become both my highest uh, goal and greatest good. Uh, can you just kind of lead the listeners a little bit about more what you, you meant by that? I think my experience uh, as I began to walk out faith as a young man 
put a great deal of emphasis on the fact that Jesus came to forgive me for sins, and now I need to do everything I can to not sin. Uh, it was, uh, used to call it, uh, you know, uh, sin management was a real key ingredient of how I began to understand the Christian faith. But all of a sudden I began to realize that much of what people think is the main reason Christ came is really ancillary. The main reason Christ came is that we could experience union with the Father. That's what the story of the prodigal son is all about. Come on home. Come on home. We want you home. And there is a degree to which I think that's the heart of repentance. Go home to the Father's house of love. And that it's relational. Do you know, Troy, there was a time where I would have had to been honest to say that I think when we get to heaven, there are going to be two things that happen right away. First, there will be a performance review to see how we did as God's servant. And number two, there will be some evaluation of um, the, whole, uh, the whole issue of our understanding of theology. And you know what? We're not going to go to heaven and have an evaluation of <laughs> theology and, Amen. And, and employment. We're going to go to heaven and be embraced in the arms of our Father. And that's an embrace we can begin to experience now. That's why Jesus introduces the concept of Abba to his followers, that Abba is our Abba now. And, you know, I would say this to your listeners. When the prodigal son was home, he was the son. When he wandered away, he was the son. When he came back, he was still the son. That's what God wants us to understand, that when we come to Christ, we are given a new identity in Jesus. We are his children. And he wants to meet us and embrace us in union and love us now and into all eternity. And I think, again, that's part of what the scandal of the gospel is all about. Mm-hmm. So good. You know, I've said, and listeners, you've heard me say that, you know, the best sermons that God is preaching in the world are through people's lives. And and Terry, you are absolutely a messenger of what God wants to communicate to the world through what you've lived and you've put put it so so well in in this book, some kind of crazy. Um, thank you so much, and uh, it's been a real honor to have you on the show. It's been my joy, and may God bless you all. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want more information on the Kindling Fire, go to our website, thekindlingfire.com. There you can learn how you can join the Firestarters. That is a community that I'm sending free e-courses, Bible devotionals. We're doing special challenges to really help you guys move towards the dreams that God has placed in you. I'm also on Instagram at The Kindling Fire. And as always, be awesome.